Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well, how do I recover from that start? Let's see. Um, do you ever feel sometimes at the end of a work day um, that it has just been a day that you have got nothing done? That, that you've been like just unproductive? I never feel that way. I'm just wondering about if you all ever feel like it's close to the end of the day and, uh, and you're like, I might as well just go home early because nothing is working. Have you felt like that before? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of you on a regular basis, yes. Um, I have a similar uh, question. Before I ask that question, I, I think God has knit us together in such a way that we want to be productive, that we want to work, that we want uh, to be successful, that all those things. And when we're not doing that, we can feel it, right? We can, if we're not getting stuff done, we can feel that in our bones. Um, it, it, when he created Adam and Eve, everybody remembers he said, uh, be fruitful and multiply, right? But he said something else. He told them to rule and reign. He said, I am putting you over all of creation. And so be good stewards. Take all the resources that I have created, I give to you. And would you steward all of creation, this, this high calling in our lives, right? And, and so there, there's this sense and this desire that we would... Um, live in such a way that we fulfill that call in, in our own separate areas of life, in our little corners, that we would be uh, uh, good stewards, that we would be productive, that we would work, that we'd honor God in that way. Let me ask another question that, that's related but slightly different. Do you ever have the sense, maybe in a season, that you're living life in such a way that you're not pleasing God. I never do. I'm just checking if you all do. Now, now I don't think that we, we, we ask this question enough. I, I, I think for, for many of us, it, it's a lost concept of living a life that pleases God. Most of us, we're trying to le live a life that pleases who? Me, myself, and I, right? That's, that's, the, that, that's kind of the mentality. That's what we're doing. I'm not happy with this. I'm going to make a change. It, it's our happiness. It's pleasing ourselves, what we want. And yet there is this beautiful biblical concept that is saying, live a life. There's an invitation really from God. Live in such a way that pleases me. Some of us, we've not heard that before. It's a, a foreign concept. To others, we, we've had heard that before, but we really have a very little sense of what that would look like. What would it look like to live a life that pleases God? I mean, we have some, we have some hunches, right? Don't be a jerk. That's perhaps a good start, right? Keep your nose clean, try not to sin, or manage your sin, right? Well, that, that may be a, a, a part of it. But what would this idea be of living a life that pleases God? 
part of that prayer for Victoria and Viva is that they would learn to grow what it would mean to, to live a life that pleases God. There is a metaphor in the Old Testament that's important for us this morning, that this metaphor is regarding a vine or a vineyard uh, from the Old Testament. It's utilized in a number of different places where it's referring to the people of God as the vineyard and the vine. And yet, oftentimes when they utilize this metaphor, that they, um, that they realize that the vineyard, the people that God has planted and cared for, they're not doing it well. Staying with the metaphor, God's looking for these rich, luscious grapes that would come from the vine and the vineyard. And he says, all I see is wild grapes. There's a, uh, it's called in Isaiah, it's called Israel's Vineyard Song. And it has God as the vine dresser, as the gardener. And he, it, it says, I won't read the whole, we just have the last little bit of it, but it talks about God preparing the soil, choosing just the right seed, the vines, building a tower and a wall. And yet the song concludes with this. This is Isaiah 5, 7. It says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. The people, the people of Judah are the vines. And he delighted in them. He delighted in them. He delighted in And he looked for justice, but... He saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Part of the history of the Israelites, of the Jewish people, is knowing that God had tenderly cared and loved them, that he set them up. He did everything that he could. He provided all the resources to them that they would live the lives that pleased him. And time and time again, they miss the mark. They disappointed. Injustice infiltrated. Bloodshed infiltrated. Right? Greed, all of those things that infiltrate uh, society, they allowed those despite being the people of God and there was a disappointment and then judges, judgment came to the vineyard. In, in Jesus' day, the Jewish people were very aware of this metaphor and they missed. And in fact, especially the religious leaders, they were determined that they would live lives pleasing to God. And they studied the law of God. They pressed in. They not only studied the law of God, the, the, the laws that were in the Old Testament, but they created man-made laws. And they wanted to do it better than the ancestors. They wanted to do it to live life in a pleasing to God, believing that if they could get it right, and if they could influence the people to live lives that please God, that then the kingdom of God would come. Then the Messiah would return. 
But it ended up being a lot of striving and legalism. And they too missed the mark. Now I want you to understand this because Jesus is going to speak another I am statement into this. He's going to speak an I am statement and and I want you to hear a little bit of the punch when Jesus says it because you you, got to understand the context, right? So who is the gardener or the vine dresser? God, the Father. Yes, I should have walked over to Logan. All right. Who is the vineyard? Who's the vineyard and the vine? Israel. Israel. Yeah. Oh, Logan. (laughs) Who's the vineyard and the vine? You're right. You're right. Israel. Yeah. Don't doubt it, brother. Own it. Own it. Yes. Now, Jesus appears and he says to Israel with this history, with this disappointment, with with Israel not being and living the lives that please God, he says something potentially confusing. He does not say, I am the vine dresser. He says... I am the true vine. What he's saying is in terms of living a life that is pleasing to God, I got you. I have you. I am the answer. No more striving. No more confusion. No more legalism. I got you. You stay with me. You you cling to me. You remain with me. Stay connected to me with everything you've got. And you will live a life that you were created to live. You will live a life that pleases God. Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, would you teach us from your word this morning? Lord, would you disciple us in ways that we would not learn to live lives that are pleasing to us? Forgive us, Lord. We put that aside. We we give that mentality and that perspective to you and we invite the truth and understanding that we would live lives that are pleasing to you, the lives you died for us, Jesus, to live. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to be in uh, John 15. You can turn to John 15 in your Bibles. I'm going to read from uh, a different translation. Uh, the ESV, we're going to have it on the screens, just because I like the wording much better in the ESV. It's, it's, uh, and I want to invite you, as we read, we're going to focus in on three words. And these three words, let's see if you can identify them as we read the scripture. Uh, Two of them are repeated a lot, like Jesus is fixated on them. The other is repeated, but just kind of in a different way. And in these three words, each of the three words has a profound significance 
or principle in how we are to live a life that pleases God. That if we're gonna get this concept and this idea that I think Jesus would want these three words or concepts really for us to weigh in and understand them to get to the lives that he wants us to live. So let me read. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the fathers have loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me, in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, there's a number of words, a couple of words that Jesus repeats again and again and again. This section over there, you want to give it a shot before I, I give it over here? What, what, do, you, what do you got? Any, what? Abide. abide. It was pretty out, like Jesus is uh, focused on abide. There's other, one other word that he repeats again and again. Would you see that one? Vine, true, yes. Fruit, that is what I'm going, so close there. Yes, fruit. So there's a repetition here. Jesus is talking about the life that pleases God, and he says, I got you, trust me. And here's these concepts that he comes back to again and again, and I want you to think about these words, these concepts, and I have some crucial questions that will help us unpack some of these concepts. One is, let's start with the word fruit. And here's the question that I have in terms of fruit. What is the fruit that the vine dresser is looking for? When he talks about fruit, in terms of life, of course, this is a, a metaphor, it's an analogy. What is the fruit? What is God, our Father, looking? What would he say when he looks at our lives and he's looking for fruit? What exactly is he looking for? 
So, Steve Covey, he was famous for his book. Some of you probably have read it. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? Said this about success. If you carefully consider what you want to to be said of you in the funeral experience, you will find your definition of success. I don't think that's bad. I think that's been helpful. I've done a number of funerals and really said, boy, what, what do I want people to say about me? But I think there's a problem with that. I'd go one step further. Yes, I want to think about what people will say about me at my funeral, but I want to especially think about what God is going to say when I stand before him. Who knows that you can be successful in the world but still not live a life pleasing to God? Yes? So I think we need to ask multiple questions, especially at the end of your life. We want to know what the Lord is looking for. We want to know how he would define success or fruit, not necessarily how we would, what pleases him as opposed to others or ourselves. And if you think about the word fruit, scripturally speaking, I would argue that scripture would understand fruitfulness and fruit in two ways, two primary ways. One inward fruit and one would be outward fruit. The inward fruit is pretty clear in a number of passages like Galatians 5, 22, when the Apostle Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is what the Spirit of God wants to produce in your life. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are character words. These are soul words. These are words that he's saying, I want, I'm not going to leave you where you're at in terms of character. And you're not where you need to be. It's a whole life process. Some would call it sanctification. And he's saying, as you walk with me, the good life is that you are growing in these things like kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. In other words, he's like, let's start with the inside. Our problem is, is we start with the outside and we forget about the inside. Yes? Yes, that we don't, re- that, that Paul did not say, I am in pains of childbirth uh, uh, until your bank accounts are big enough. I, I'm, I'm hurting uh, until you, your church grows to a, a certain size. I, I'm in pain until you guys really have an influence on, on Rome. And, and politically, he doesn't say, no, some of those things can be just fine. But what is he in the pains of childbirth for? Until Christ. What are you in the, what's he in childbirth, pains of childbirth? Until Christ is formed. 
until the character of Christ. He's made in the image just like you and I. He lived a perfect life. His life pleased God. And, and Paul is saying, this is it. This is the fruit, the, the joy of God, the peace of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God. This is what I'm after. And yet we're looking to all the outward stuff rather than what's in here, right? Now, most of you know we have a preschool, <clears throat> a wonderful preschool. Um, it's uh, led by great teachers, our new preschool director, Teresa. And uh, I love having the preschool as part of our church because, I mean, there's just so much life and fun and activities and the kids and the parents. And, you know, from time to time, uh, you'll hear crying and, and all these things going on. That would happen when you have, you know, over 100 uh, kids in your facility on a regular basis. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I'm in my office, and I didn't just hear crying. I heard crying. Like, I heard blood-curdling cries out and I thought is our new director Teresa beating a child or what I didn't really think that Teresa I was like what is going on I went over there and sure enough there was this boy and he I mean he was on point in terms of making his like the struggle that was going on and he is just going ah, ah, and so I go in there I'm like uh, what's going on Teresa and she explained this amazing injustice that was happening <laughs> that his teacher actually was requiring him to share his toys Ouch. yes can you believe so he was he was wrestling under this injustice and crying out and I just said, would you like me to give it a shot, Teresa? Yes, yes, give it a shot. And so, you know, I did my thing. I, I talked about Star Wars. And cool. Talked about superheroes, right? And he started to calm down, right? See, these, everything has redemptive value, right? <laughs> that alone. So, so we talk, and, and finally, you know, he's, he was one. <laughs> and then slowly, calmly, and we got him focused on some other things, and then he was ready to go back to his classroom, right? Because he was missing out on story time and so forth. And I'm like, you ready to go back? And he's like, <laughs> and I was like, okay. But before we go, we got to talk about a few things. So let's talk about this sharing idea. You, you really need to, because those aren't your toys. You got to share those. And I said, let's talk about this crying when stuff doesn't go your way, that you can't do that. that that's, not, that's not good. You can't stay in the class with your friend. You know, you, we had all these conversations. So he calms down. We go back. I get him into the class. He first wanted to go to the bathroom. He gets himself put back together, right? He's got to be presentable. He's like four. And he goes back, <laughs> and he enters back into the classroom. I uh, checked back with the teacher, by the way, and uh, she has worked out a little bit of a timeshare for the toys, and it's, it's going really well. And I thought, what a picture of us, that we are so focused on the outward stuff, right? 
And don't, is that kind of, could, would you say that sometimes we pray like that? Ah! I mean, not me. I'm just checking you guys. And what does our Heavenly Father want to talk to us about? What's going on here? Right? He wants to talk about, did you say Star Wars? No, no, he doesn't. He wants to talk about our character, what he's doing. And, and, and we're missing because we're so focused on the outward things, the the, the jobs and the careers and the, and the bank accounts, not that those things are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But they're not the best. They're not the number one. They're not what God is saying. I want to talk to you about these things. Will, will you listen? Now, fruit is outward as well. I, I think it would be a different thing. Those things matter to God. Thinking of the, the parable of the talents where a man gives a certain number of talents to his servants and, and, and the ones that receive 10 or 5 more talents, they invest them. And he comes back and they're like, good. The one that had one talent, he buried it because he didn't want to lose it. And the man says, you missed it. You missed the whole point. I'm giving you this outward stuff not so that you would save it but that you would invest it in the world. I'm choosing you to do good kingdom work in the world. That is the fruit that I, I'm looking for, God is looking for a return. He cares about fruitfulness, both internal fruit, but also outward. He's saying, I, I'm calling you to give these resources to, to serve others, to love others, to meet the needs of others, to invest in these broken places. I have people crying out to me, and I'm hoping that you will be part of the answer of their prayers. You see, when Jesus says in verse five, look at verse five again, he says that uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not saying that non-Christians can't accomplish anything. What he's saying is eternal things, that's the only thing that my children can accomplish is eternal things. Life transformation, kingdom of God things. I'm looking for a fruitfulness in both character and loving action towards a broken world. Understand? Another parable, the sheep and the goats. Jesus gives multiple characters parables so it helps us understand in a variety of directions and the only difference between the sheep and the goats those who reap reward and those who were, were judged the only difference is what they did or did not do for others that was the only difference it says this he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
fruitfulness, character, and, and fruitfulness, service. There's this beautiful, intimate connection. Who knows that he wants to grow us in humility and sacrifice so that it would overflow into loving others sacrificially. Yes? Working in here so it overflows. That's the fruitfulness. The, the, the fruitfulness that God is looking for is both internal, spiritual transformation, deep spiritual transformation, and outward, loving actions and service. The second word, the second word here is not as repeated as much, but it's very important. It's my least favorite of the three. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. Can you guess what that word is? Or you can just look in your outline. That's an easy way to prune, pruning. In fact, it is repeated. Cleaning is the same root word as pruning. Um, and, and so he shares this idea. And, and so just knowing a little bit, not a whole lot, but a little bit of, of cultivating a, a, a grapevine or any kind of fruit is really this idea is um, you have to prune back. You have to cut back the, the branches, right? The, the branches that aren't producing. Um, in terms of a grapevine, if you don't cut it back, it will get too heavy and it will rest on the ground and then you lose the fruit. You have to cut it back and the purpose of pruning is for a greater fruitfulness, that, that there's a more fruitfulness. So pruning is intimately and important about producing more fruit. Now, Unfortunately, there's only two options in this, these words of Jesus. Either we're going to be cut out or cut back. Yes? Cut out, no fruitfulness, or cut back for greater fruitfulness. There's no peaches and cream option. Darn it, yes, right? So the question is not whether God is going to prune you and I. Yes? Yes? Yeah, so why do we, when he prunes us, when we experience loss or struggle or trial, and we go, why me? He's like, because I love you. So here's my question for pruning. Not will it come. Not only when will it come, but how will I respond when it does? How will you respond when the, the pruning happens? I want to suggest that there's a, he connects prayer and, and the effectiveness of prayer in these. He says, when, when you're walking with me, when you're living a life pleasing to me, I will hear your prayers. I will answer your prayers. I want to suggest two ways that we can pray when we're experiencing trial, when he is cutting us back. All right? I'm not sure if you're going to agree with me in this first one, but you're going to want to agree with me. The first way I think that we can pray is we can pray for less pruning. We can pray for less. I, I think Jesus 
allows us to pray that. And sometimes he answers that. The reason I think that Jesus allows us to pray that is because in the Lord's Prayer, he says, you get to pray um, this way and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptation, probably a better translation for that is trial. And it's connected to pruning. And that we get to pray, Lord, would you remove us from this season of trial. You know, our church has been through a time of pruning. I have been praying, Lord, would you take us out of this time of pruning? Now I'm giving thanks because I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe we're out of that time. Now I'm praying for addition and multiplication in that. I believe our denomination, Reformed Church of America, has been in pruning. But as I pray, I believe we're going to have to enter into a much deeper time of pruning. I've seen every part of the lives of Christians experiencing pruning. That's the way it is. Why? Because God is mean and vindictive? Why? He loves us. He wants to bring fruitful. Fruit matters. Inward and outward, fruit matters. He brings us into that. So we get to pray, Lord, let's bring us out of this time of pruning. But we also get to pray this. Pray, what might I learn from this moment? What are you teaching, God? What is the fruit that you're going after? Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see. I love the, the, the famous, beautiful prayer by uh, Moses. He said, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Moses didn't want to opt out. Right? He said, teach me your ways so I might know that I might continue to find favor with you. Right? And then he throws in a little, remember, these are your people, not mine. Right? <laughs> we get to do that. Right? So we, we get to, to pray that. I was reading the story of a, a woman named Kate Bowler. She's an associate professor of history of Christianity at Duke Divinity School. She was recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, and she had gone through chemotherapy. She, uh, she wrote a book. Uh, I love the title of the book. Where is that title? Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Isn't that a good title? We can't unpack that. We don't have time to unpack that. But uh, it's another sermon. So... And she talks about in her book, in this experience, experiencing the deep love of God. Especially after chemotherapy. And so the interviewer is saying, how? How do you get there? Help us to, to understand. And in her own words, she says this, it's like you notice the tired mom in the grocery store who's just like struggling to get the things off the top shelf and her kids are screaming. You notice the very tired person at the bus stop. And then, of course, all the people in the cancer clinic around me that felt like I was, I felt like I was cracked open 
and I could see everything really clearly for the first time in my life. That's character work there. And the other bit was not feeling nearly as angry as I thought I would. And I mean, granted, like, I've been pretty angry at times. She's lamenting the loss of life with her husband and her son. But it was mostly that I felt God's presence. And it was less like, here are some important spiritual truths I know intellectually about God. It was instead more like the way you'd feel a friend or like someone holding you. I just didn't feel quite as scared. And I felt loved by God. Here's this beautiful woman in these devastating circumstances and diagnosis. But she got off of the outward things. And she was able to hear the love of the Father. Um, The final word is is probably my favorite word, and you guys got it. Good job, section. It was abide. And I guess quite simply is asking the question, what what does it mean to abide? What does that look like? What what is Jesus after? And um, and the the question that I really took from another pastor, I'd love if it was my own pastor, uh, my own question, but it was another pastor that, that simply asked this, what stirs your affections for Jesus? And then here's a really profound principle about abide. Do that stuff. What what stirs your affection for Jesus? If you want to grow, that's how relationships work, right? Is that you do, you have shared experiences that stir your affection for others. You, that, that's how you grow in intimacy and love. That's how you abide. Abide, if you, it's a little Greek word, meno, and it simply means this, to, to remain and not depart. It also means to be held to be kept, to to journey together, to journey as one. It can mean to wait. It, It implies intimacy and connection. It implies this idea of shared life. And Christ is saying, if you want to really live a life that pleases God, abide in me and I promise you, I will not let you go. I will remain, I will hold on to you. So what stirs your affection for Jesus? I I can't answer for, I, I would say that there's some universal things that we can do. Um, the, the word of God, uh, of course, to, to read that can stir the affection. Prayer, worship, community and fellowship, all of those things, I would say, are universal. We, we, we can abide by doing those things, do more of those things. But also, I think he's created us uniquely, and there's some things that are going to stir in my heart. 
lo- uh, greater love for Jesus. That's just, that's just about me. I, you know, the guitar, that, that's something to play and to sing one-on-one. That, that stirs affections for Jesus. So I need to do that more. Worship, right? Um, jogging. I, I know that sounds odd, but I shared that. I get to jog and listen to his voice, right? That increases my affection and also side benefit decreases other things like waistline in my life. So there can be a double, right? So have you ever asked that question, what stirs your affection for Jesus and the Father and the Spirit? You wanna live a life that pleases God do more of those things and then you can approach abide in another way by asking this question. What are the things that are in your life that rob you, that that create separation between you and Jesus? And again, here's a really profound principle. Don't do that stuff. Right? You, you, you remove that. That's, you know, if you stay with a vineyard or a garden, there's stuff that you, you weed out because those weeds are going to suck the nutrients that wants to flow in the vine and the branches. So you, you pull out those reed, weeds or they will overrun your life. Psalm 4.2 said this, the psalmist, how long will your people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? It's called idolatry. When we go after the things, other things in life, And it, pull, it can be good or evil, it doesn't matter. If, if we set up those idols in our life and, and go after those things, we're removing affection between us and the Lord. He's saying, don't do that. Friends, I'm praying that you all, with me, would learn how to live lives that are pleasing to God. He's looking, he's saying, I've got you. Would you trust me? Would you believe in me? Would you be with me? Abide with me. Yes, you will experience some pruning. Yes, there will be times, but it's because I love you. Because the fruit, first and foremost, is this, this character work that I have planned for you. Remain in me, and your life will be fruitful. There will be a delight, not only by my Father in heaven, but the people around you will say, oh, boy, that, what a life. What a life of fruitfulness, of of love, of kindness, of goodness, of service, success, And others will say, I want to be like that. Let's pray. Do you just take a moment? I want to give you a, a, a few moments just between you and the Holy Spirit.
not only the worship team, but if the prayer team would come forward. Um, and I want to give you the opportunity as we sing the last song, if there's something that you'd like one of the prayer team members to really pray into your life. But just between you and the Holy Spirit, what's that word or that concept that really struck you? Maybe it was fruitfulness. Maybe it was inward fruit or outward fruit. Maybe you've grown stagnant in your faith. And you're realizing, God, I don't, there's not a whole lot of fruitfulness that is happening, taking place. You get to pray for that. Maybe pruning was the word. Maybe you're in the thick of things and you're hurting and you're struggling and there's things that you can't get past. And it's okay to say, Lord, would you lead me out of this time of pruning? Or maybe you're feeling led, saying, I've never prayed, Lord, teach me in this trial. Is that what the Spirit is saying to you right now? Or maybe the fi final one is abide, that you've, that idea of first love, why there's time when you had great affection for the Lord. And you heard his voice, you're hearing his voice, I love you, I want to be with you. Would you abide, would you do the things that stir the affection or not do? So Holy Spirit, would you direct us and guide us? We give this time to you as we worship, as we pray, as we seek you. Holy Spirit, speak to us your word.